and during some of the toughest times I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time even to this moment uh, of different things that I that mean to me different sayings that mean a lot to me uh, things that I strive for recognizing my responsibility to give back reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say I'm going to break the mold two days after my second injury my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home I ran up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall, no quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me, and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers podcast. I'm Brian Levinson. I work as a mental performance coach where I get to work with elite performers in both business and sports, and I help them with their mindset. We focus on how each person can set their mind to create opportunities to win moments, maximize their potential, and enjoy success. I love what I do for a living. So I started up this podcast with a simple mission in mind. How are people intentionally setting their mind to be their best and bring intentional gems to you, the listener? Now, before we get started, I want to tell you a bit how you can support the podcast. We would love it if you went over to our Patreon homepage, which you can find at patreon.com backslash intentional performers. Over there, you can support the podcast with a $10 a month donation. We also have an exciting announcement to make. Those people who subscribe with a $10 a month donation will be entered in a drawing to attend our podcast retreat in May. Now, this podcast retreat will be exclusive for past podcast guests, people like you're listening to on today's show, and Patreon drawing winners. So once again, go over to patreon.com backslash intentional performers and support the show. One of the other perks of being a Patreon supporter is that you get a shout out on the show, which we are going to do right now. Rob Greenberg started a computer consulting business, RMG Solutions, which is geared towards helping individuals with all their technology needs. PC, Mac, desktop, laptop, tablets, smartphones, doesn't really matter. Rob can help you. So solving IT problems and helping people are his true passions. He prides himself on providing support to people at any skill level. And he has over 15 years of experience in IT. So you can contact Rob at robgreenberg1 at gmail. Once again, robgreenberg1 at gmail.com. And thanks to Rob for being such a supporter of the podcast. He always emails me and tells me things he likes, things that he wish could be better. Rob's just an awesome supporter of the show. And we appreciate his work. So definitely give him a shout out and reach out to him if you need help with anything IT related, because certainly I am not your guy for that. Now, to today's guest. Mano Watsa presently serves as the president of PGC Basketball. If you don't know about PGC, PGC Basketball provides intense, no-nonsense basketball training for players and coaches. If you're in the basketball world, especially at the high school level, you know about PGC. Originally, they worked with just point guards, but now their basketball camps are designed to teach players of all positions to think the game and to be leaders on and off the court. 
They really do incredible work. They have served thousands of basketball players and coaches all over the country. Mono's journey as a coach started at the age of 15 when he started his own basketball camp. That's right. He started a basketball camp at the age of 15, and we will get into that. In this conversation, he'll talk about how basketball camps literally changed his life and how off the court and on the court helped him play college basketball, where he has subsequently selected as a two-time All-Canadian and earned academic All-Canadian honors at the University of Waterloo. So basketball, and specifically basketball camps, really transformed Mono and Mono's life. He capped off his university career with his selection as the recipient of the Sports Network, TSN, which is Canada's equivalent to ESPN, award in 1998 for combining excellence in athletics, academics, and community involvement. And that really is the intersection that Mono lives in, academics, community, and athletics. He's also big into leadership, and we'll talk about mindset and some of the things he does throughout his day, but really to start his day in this conversation as well. As you'll find out pretty quickly, uh, he has a unique way with words. He's really gifted with words. And he's just a very deep, deep thinker. He's an amazing motivational speaker, and he's used basketball-based presentations as a platform to address over 250,000 students across North America. You're going to love this conversation. Mono lives an extremely intentional life, and he has systems and processes in place to help him be at his best. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Mono Watson. Mono, thanks for coming on the podcast. We have had some technical difficulties, but I think we're good to go now. So I'm excited to chat with you. You've got a smile about about you that uh, exudes energy. Uh, I think you've got a spirit about you uh, that is noticeable even across borders and across technology. Um, But what I wanted to start with was your basketball journey. So when did you start picking up a basketball? What was that like for you? Uh, Just give us some background on your basketball journey. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. First of all, what a pleasure and honor to be on the podcast with you today. Thanks for having me on. My basketball journey started really quite young. I was about 10 years old. And I had a great school coach who loved the game and helped me to fall in love with the game. And uh, whether it was playing outside at recess with my friends or uh, or playing in in gym class and then ultimately playing on his teams, uh, and then he paved the way for me and encouraged me to go to a local camp in my uh, just outside of my hometown that I grew up in. I grew up just across the border from Detroit, Michigan, in the small town of Harrow, Ontario, Canada. And there was a camp in, in, uh, in the larger city close to ours in Windsor that, uh, that I started attending in fourth or fifth grade and attended it all the way through to 12th grade. And that really not only helped me grow my skills, but, uh, but really fueled my passion for the game. And, uh, and so that was really how, how my basketball journey began. And then when I got to high school, I, I started taking my basketball everywhere I could. Um, and so uh, whether it was dribbling down the, the sidewalk in my town or, or spinning the ball on my finger around the, the hallways at school or jumping during, uh, during lunch hour, jumping into the gym and getting, uh, getting shots off and working on my game. I was, uh, I, I was basically basketball 24 seven. Was basketball love at first sight for you? 
Yeah, I think it was. You know, when I think back to it uh, when I first started, you know, when you start start doing something with friends, um, you know, I don't know if it was really love at, at that point, but it certainly was enjoyment and a lot of fun playing with friends, watching games. I was a, a, a Lakers fan at that time with Magic Johnson, and my best friend was a Detroit Pistons Isaiah Thomas fan, so we had this rivalry going on, and, uh, and basketball was just uh, – um, something that we loved doing and we loved talking about, and it's just never stopped. And you mentioned that grade school coach. What what sort of lessons did he teach you? Why why did he have such a big impact on your life? Yeah, you know, Brian, I was so fortunate. I had I've had some amazing coaches um, through uh, through my basketball career that I've had the privilege of of learning from. And my my grade school coach was uh, was so committed. Uh, that he drove around the countryside. He had about a, a one-hour loop that he did every morning, and not just uh, not just during basketball season. He did it the entire school year. The only day off we took was the first day off, or the first day of school, and that's when he would coordinate who he was going to pick up and at what time. And he got to my house at approximately quarter after six every morning. I got up at six o'clock, packed my lunch, grabbed a snack, and I was out the door. And we'd get to the school at about 6.45 and would train until 8.25. So we were getting in more than an hour and a half every morning. And I did that in sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade every single day that didn't include uh after school practices tournaments but he was he was so committed and uh, and he really taught me the importance of practice he taught me the importance of not just coming in the gym and fooling around but actually doing productive work and so he he would write on the chalkboard every single morning 10 things that we had to do before we could play one-on-one, two-on-two, or three-on-three, or full court. So we would get about 45 minutes, 50 minutes of training in, and, uh, and then we would play after that. So, so he really taught me the, the importance and the value of being productive when you go to the gym. And then he just had, uh, he had a great way of coaching kids. One of, I, I learned more from him about how to coach when I was in high school. I went back and actually um, assisted him and coached uh, and did a co-op placement at the school with phys ed. And what I learned from him was that he was continually giving reminders, reminders in advance of where guys needed to be and what they needed to be doing. And so, uh, so there was never a moment lost for him as a coach. It was one continual, um, you, you were continually receiving feedback and he was continually giving reminders to help everyone be at their best and to help everyone stay focused. And so that's something that I've taken into my coaching and something that I certainly benefit from as a player. Where was where was your family when this is all going on? Are they supportive of you waking up early and going to the gym? What was what was the family <laughs> family dynamic like? Yeah, yeah, my dad was already off to work by the time I was getting up to uh, go. So I would actually uh, a lot of mornings make his coffee at about 5:30 in the morning and then try and get another uh, 20 or 30 minutes of sleep. And uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my my elementary grade school coach, uh, elementary school coach Mr. B actually had a, a a rule that was really funny. He said if your parents drove to a tournament, you got to start. 
Mm. And, uh, and, and so even when I was in sixth or seventh grade, I said, Mom, I get to start if you can drive. And so we had a minivan, and she drove to nearly every tournament. So that might have helped to actually propel my career forward, Brian. <laughs> and you said... <laughs> With her being able to drive. Yeah, you say, so, so Mom did a lot to take care of you, drive you. Uh, what did Dad do? It sounds like he was up early. What, 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 did, what did he do? And also, what values did both Mom and Dad instill in you? Oh, yeah. Appreciate you asking. So my dad was a business owner. So I learned a lot about business from uh, from my father. And so a couple of the most valuable lessons that I've then applied as I provide leadership to PGC and as I've run uh, run companies over the past 26 years now. Um, first of all, my dad taught me the value of hard work. I've never met a harder worker um, in, in my life than my father. And, uh, and he also taught me about treating people well. He, he always treated his, his people well and, uh, and was already always willing to give a helping hand to anyone who needed it. Uh, and then my dad taught me about generosity and the importance of, uh, of being generous with all of those around you. My dad did, did really, really well in business, um, but it was never about him. It was who he could be a blessing to. And so, uh, so those were a few important lessons for my dad. My dad was really busy at work uh, until my early teenage years. He retired quite young. He retired at age 45. And from that point on, he came to all my basketball games. And in fact, when I was playing college basketball at the university, of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, he and my mom would drive three and three hours down for every single game. And if it was a further drive for road games, they made that drive and they'd even jump on a plane and come watch us if we were playing in the national championships or things of that nature. And so I had two really, really supportive parents. And, and my mom, on the other hand, taught me some very different lessons. Uh, but more than anything else, my mom taught me kindness and thoughtfulness. And those were uh, two, two, uh, two really character qualities that she instilled in us um, from the time we were very young. And I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of, uh, of having had those qualities modeled and instilled in me. So it sounds like you've got great parents. You've got role models that are picking you up early and, and uh, challenging you. But some people would say, hey, you are comfortable, you, you know, you, you've got sort of everything. What's driving you, Mono, to wake up early, to carry around the basketball? Uh, why not just become sort of comfortable and sort of cruise and, and maybe, you know, get decent grades, go to college? What was driving you during those high school years to, to push the boundaries on your basketball game? Yeah, I think there are a few. I was actually talking to a team that I'm, I'm coaching my son's, uh, my son's club team and was talking to them last night about, uh, about knowing your what and your why. And if you know your what and your why, you know what you want to accomplish and you know why you have enough compelling reasons to accomplish it, you'll be far more likely to, um, to, to get to your destination compared to if you don't really know your destination, you don't know what, and you don't really have many reasons why, uh, you probably won't get there. Um, and so I was fortunate that I had several whys, um, several compelling reasons to, uh, to reach the goals that I had. So one is um, coming from a small town 
and uh, there were many who thought I couldn't do it. And so there was certainly a motivating factor to want to prove that I could do it, that I could become a good basketball player. Even more than that, though, the why was I loved the game. And I had, um, and I don't really know what created this, Brian, but I, I had inside of me a desire to be the best that I could be. I wanted to maximize my potential and just see how could, how good can I be if I really pour my heart and soul and sweat into this each and every day. And so I, I think that probably comes from um, ha- having seen other accomplished basketball players. And then, uh, of course, when I was uh, towards the end of high school, I attended Point Guard College, and that gave me a vision of what was possible and all the things that I could learn about how to, how to be small but play bigger than my size and how to think the game and how to be a leader on and off the court. And so unquestionably, that inspired me to really persevere and, and push and certainly increased my level of determination. And then probably my final why, Brian, was that I had started a basketball camp when I was 15 years old in my parents' backyard. And when I launched that camp, I thought it was just going to be for that summer. But uh, we went from eight kids the first week in my parents' backyard with one hoop to nine kids the next week. And I said, progress. (laughs) And then I went back the next year. uh, The next summer, I decided to run them again in my parents' backyard. And I did four weeks, and we had 20 kids a week. And then uh, my final year of high school, we had uh, about 35 kids a week. And what I realized was, I needed to continue to get better and make a name for myself in basketball so that I had the credibility to be able to run the camps and grow the camps. So the more I learned about the game, the more I could teach. And so unquestionably, the launching of my camps, that that became another compelling reason why I wanted to be successful as a player. So now the dots are starting to connect uh, in greater detail, right? So we've got dad showing you the power of business, the power of what business can do from a generosity standpoint, what business can do from a family standpoint. And we've got basketball coming into your life and being something that you loved. At that age, what did, at the age of 15, your version of a lemonade stand is, is to put, you know, a camp in your backyard. So I'm curious back to high school version of yourself what did you love specifically about basketball and what did you love specifically about entrepreneurship or, or business? Because those seem to be, uh, you know, you were working at the intersection of business and basketball. And a lot of people say that they love basketball um, and a lot of people say they love business. But I'm curious about what specifically you loved about both of those at that time. Sure. What I loved about basketball was practicing on my own and feeling like I was getting better. Uh, the, I, I fell in love with improvement, or really the journey of growth. And one of the things, I, I was a, a competitive soccer player all through my growing up years, and soccer is just not that fun to practice on your own. It's really, really fun to play with others, but not as much fun, at least for me, to, uh, to practice on my own. But shooting a basket and hearing that sound of a swish and uh, and working on a new move and feeling like I'd gotten it and then playing one-on-one with a friend and using that move 
Well, it was just really, really rewarding. So for me, both improvement and the immediate gratification that came with making a basket. I, I think those were two things that, uh, that initially created a love for the game. And then, you know, success tends to increase our, our passion. You know, as we improve, we tend to enjoy things more. I think that's the case with, with anything. The, the better you get at it, the more you, you, you like it and, uh, and the more you even love it. And so that was certainly the case for me. And so with my, my coach helping me to develop my skills at an early age, uh, every morning before school, that just increased my, my enjoyment and, uh, and, and love for the game. And unquestionably, he was such a great coach. He was so positive and, uh, and created a great environment to learn in that uh, you couldn't help but fall in love with the game. And so that was the basketball side. On the business side, I actually didn't start out thinking, well, I'm going to be an entrepreneur or I, I want to start a business. It was actually uh, more organic than that and certainly not really planned out. I had no idea I was setting myself up for a career in business and the combination of business and basketball. The previous summer, I had picked tomatoes in a field. And uh, after, actually, it was, uh, it was harvesting tomatoes and picking pickles. And after doing those two things, I realized that was not my calling. <laughs> <laughs> and it was difficult to, uh, to find hours to work because I was trying to go to these different camps. So I thought, I need something to do that will just allow me to work a few weeks in the summer and allow me to focus on basketball and going to camps the rest of the summer. And a friend of mine was running swimming lessons in her backyard pool. And I thought, wow, if she could do swimming lessons, maybe I could do basketball lessons. And then because I, I was already going to a camp up in the city, I thought, well, maybe I could just call it a camp instead of working with one kid at a time. Maybe I can work with 10 or 15. And so that was, uh, that was how that concept was born, and the camp went from 8 in the morning till noon for five days, and I still had the afternoons and evenings to train and enjoy my summers. But uh, I didn't know at the time that I was starting a camp in my parents' backyard. Uh, as I said, I, I thought I was just starting it for one or two weeks that summer. I had no idea it would turn into 22 straight years of running camps in my parents' backyard. And I actually, even while providing leadership to PGC and, and us running 100 camps across North America, I was still going back for one week to my parents' backyard to, uh, to run a camp uh, to continue that, uh, that program that I had started all those years ago. So awesome. And you mentioned Point Guard College uh, having a big impact to you in on you in high school. Uh, walk us through what that was like going to that specific camp. And you said they taught you how to think um, and walk us through what they instilled in you back then. Sure. So it, the way it began was I was always looking for anything to help me get better. I was always the smallest player on every court I ever stepped on. You know, I, I, uh, I hit, I eventually hit five foot 10, but I was uh, really late to hit my growth spurt. And so uh, as a result, I was trying to find anything that could give me an advantage or help me close the gap between all the uh, players I was playing against who were much bigger and stronger. And I saw this little ad and it only said three words, point guard college. And there was a, a 1-800 number. Well, I, I grabbed that ad and called that 1-800 number and got mailed a brochure from uh, founder Dick DeVenzio. And I read this brochure 
And uh, the more I read, the more I thought, I have to get there. And the the only week that worked with my schedule was a, a camp down in South Carolina. And so uh, I talked to my parents, and they agreed. And I used some of the money that I'd earned from my basketball camp, and I flew down to South Carolina. And uh, um, that five days changed everything for me. I, I had no idea at the time what I was really getting myself into, except what I had read in the brochure. But as I sat there in that opening classroom session and the light bulbs just seemed to turn on for me and and all week long, I just sat there um, just amazed by all that I was learning about how to think the game, how... How to uh, how to read the defense, how to make decisions on the court, how to create tempo, how to influence teammates, how to communicate effectively with teammates, how to lead your teammates on and off the court. All of those things, uh, as we learned from the, the classroom sessions and then the film sessions and then on court, actually putting what we learned into practice. And it was Dick DiVenzio at the time with 100 players. No one, no one else in the gym. No, there weren't 20 counselors and coaches helping. I think he made a, he, he had his brother as an assistant helping him. But for the most part, he did all the teaching and he created a leadership laboratory. So he'd send us back to baskets to work on things and he'd say, if you're going to get started, you're going to have to organize yourselves and get yourselves in four teams and do this, this, and this. And when we went back to our baskets, it was kind of sink or swim. And so we we figured it out, and uh, and really, um, I, I I learned more about leadership in those five days than I've probably learned my entire life. And when I came home, I was a different player. I, I approached my studies in school differently. I approached uh, leadership differently, and uh, and the, the results uh, came in and came in far faster than I ever could have imagined and ended up being all-conference that year. It was my first year that I was ever um, an honors student. And then, I, uh, and then I had the opportunity to go on and pl- play at the University of Waterloo. As a result, I never would have had that opportunity had it not been for the five days at Point Guard College and everything Dick DeVenzio had taught me. When you think of a point guard, what is the mindset of a great point guard? Hmm. You know, it, it, that's a that's a great question. There's there's many different components of the mindset of a, a a great point guard. One is a great point guard has to be willing to serve. Uh, a great point guard has to be unselfish and focused on putting his teammates before himself or herself. And so the 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 job of serving teammates, of course, we think of the traditional getting an assist, being willing to uh, make a play for the benefit of someone else. That's an integral part. But it's even more than that. It goes deeper than that. It's, uh, it's looking beyond oneself. When you step on the basketball court, it's so easy to just focus on how you're doing, how you're playing, how you're shooting. But really, the point guard uh, position, and we, we like to think at PGC that point guard is more than a just just a position on the court it's a way of being it's a way of being more than anyone anything else it, it's being a playmaker on the court but also as you said it's a mindset and approach to the game that says i'm going to focus more on others than i focus on myself and so part of that is looking around and seeing which teammates need picking up, which teammates need need the ball at certain times, which teammates need encouragement, which teammates need to be challenged. 
And so it's really learning to focus on others more than yourself. I, I think that's a critical component of being a point guard. And then there's all, all of the other pieces in terms of knowing the time and score and, and knowing what's needed in any given situation and, and being really more aware than the rest of the players so that you could be a floor general on the court and implement your coach's strategies, but also have an awareness and presence yourself to, um, to be able to make decisions that's going to position the team to be successful. Man, so you just got me thinking in a million different directions because I was so curious how you were going to answer that. Uh, the first one being uh, a, the point guard position, let's just use the NBA as an example, has changed a lot over the years. So traditionally it was to really get assists and set guys up. And now they expect the point guard to also score, uh, because the way the game's changed. And then I also think about the NBA and how the NBA has changed and that it's more positionless basketball now. Uh, and then the third thing I thought of was that the beauty, the, the most beautiful game that I think anyone really has seen in basketball, at least in my lifetime that I've ever seen, is when that San Antonio Spurs team beat the Miami Heat. And the Spurs, their assists were through the roof. Uh, their catch-and-shoot opportunities were through the roof. And the ball was just moving. And it was selfless. And it was like, for, for a basketball fan, it felt like there was an orchestra playing. And it was a symphony of basketball a couple years ago uh, when they beat the heat. Um, and when I heard mm -hmm. you define how you think of a point guard and that it's basically everybody on the court should be taking on a point guard mentality. I think if we can teach our high school kids to have that mindset, then they will develop into better all around basketball players, which is actually the, the professional game. Now it wasn't always like this, but now they really, if you can't pass the basketball, like that is a major red flag for teams. And um, that doesn't mean they still don't have specialists when it comes to shooting or defending or rebounding. But uh, you've seen the game really shift into that. If you can do everything where they used to call those guys tweeners, uh, now they call them assets. And uh, so it's interesting as you define point guard and the mindset of a point guard being we want everybody to be a point guard. That kind of reminds me also of from a leadership standpoint um, how a lot of people are thinking about leadership. Um, so I would love to A, if you want to give any thoughts on what I just riffed on, and then B, I also would love to hear your definition of leadership and how you guys think about leadership at PGC as well. Yeah, sure. So first of all, totally agree with what you just mentioned in terms of that San Antonio Spurs team. They played with such unity and togetherness and unselfishness, the willingness to make the extra pass. We call that at PGC click-click passing. When the ball doesn't just come to you, it goes through you and quickly to someone else, to a teammate who may be more open or maybe more dangerous than you. And one of the things with that Miami Heat team is many of the players would hold on to the ball and the San Antonio Spurs players were willing to give up the ball and give it up quickly for the betterment of the team and for a better opportunity. They also were far more touchier. There's, uh, there's a, a really interesting statistic from those finals in, in which uh, in which they recorded how often the San Antonio Spurs made physical contact with each other, high five, butt slaps, chest bumps. And it was incredible to see the, the charting of that finals 
and how it swung in favor of San Antonio so dramatically in those final games. Um, and so not only were they willing to give up the ball, but they were together. They played united. And, uh, and it was certainly uh, an act of leadership on behalf of not just Popovich, but, uh, but all of the players who, uh, instead of focusing on themselves, chose to focus on each other. And then, uh, and then of course, the, the results came out of that. And that comes back to the definition of leadership. And so we think of leadership a few different ways at, at PGC, but really they, they all work together hand in hand. Leadership is, uh, Dick DiVenzio, founder of PGC, used to say, leadership is energy. Leadership is energy, a willingness to put your energy on others. And leadership requires a tremendous amount of energy to be able to be an energy giver, and to be able to, um, in the midst of fatigue, find a way to elevate someone else's performance. And so energy is certainly a critical component of, of leadership. Service is a critical component of leadership. And then the third is the ability to influence someone else. You're not leading if nobody's following. And so it's the ability to inspire. It's the ability to um, to magnetize and draw others into whatever it is you're attempting to accomplish. And so um, so being able to influence your teammates. So let, let's take something as simple and as tangible as shot selection. Everyone wants their team, their teammates to take good shots, but it's not just enough for a coach to scream out, take better shots. It's about the daily conversations that a leader, a captain, or a point guard has with their teammates about what a good shot is and having the patience to wait for a, to trade off a, a good shot for an even better shot. And so that's leadership, being able to inspire, being able to influence the shots that your teammates take by saying, hey, that's a good shot, but let's be patient. Let's see if we can get to the bucket and get a guaranteed two points or get to the free throw line. And being able to influence your teammates to take a better shot than they may have otherwise, that's leadership. I love that you brought up touching because it's such an easy, simple thing to do. And I see it at every level uh, where teams either are or they're not. And it just speaks to connection and how connected a team is. And you mentioned that Spurs team. And I remember reading a study about the Boston Celtics when they won uh, the championship that they led the league in touching and Kevin Garnett being a big influencer in there. And I think about a Kevin Garnett as you, as you define point guard and here's a seven foot one guy. Um, but he took on a lot of the personalities or a lot of the mindset that you said, uh, involved what a point guard is. And then I thought of Steve Nash, who I think led the league in touching at one point and uh, how he embodies what a point guard is, I think both on and off the court as well. And he's also Canadian. So shout out to your country for that. Um, mm -hmm. But I want to get back into your journey a little bit. So you're at Waterloo, you're playing, uh, you know, university basketball. Um, what comes next for you uh, after that? And, uh, and you, you sort of have hinted that, hey, you, you stayed with the camp in your backyard and then you also uh, got into other camps. So walk us through your journey a little bit more and let's, let's close that loop. Sure. So I, I ended up having a successful career at the University of Waterloo, really live, making a living off of putting into practice what I learned about leadership and communication uh, at, at Point Guard College. And 
I'm putting into practice all the principles I learned about how to think the game and play bigger than my size. So that allowed me to have a lot of success in university. And, uh, and from there, when I completed my, my uh, college degree, I then decided I, I played a little bit and had the chance to travel, uh, traveled with an, athlete, uh, an organization called Athletes in Action and that had the chance to, uh, to play and travel really around the world and then had the chance to coach um, in many different places, including my alma mater, the University of Waterloo. I was an assistant coach for five years for the men's program, three years for the women's program. And I continued my camps and I started an, an overnight camp um, in my hometown of Waterloo where I was playing to uh, to uh, help allow players from across uh, across the province be able to attend because of course my backyard camp was really only for local players and then a year or two later Dick DeVenzio suddenly passed away the founder of PGC and in tribute to the impact he had had on my game I decided to start a program in Canada for point guards and I ran that program in Ontario and a few other provinces for several years, and it became kind of a national brand um, in basketball camps in Canada. And uh, and then a woman who had continued on Dick's legacy, continuing Point Guard College, reached out to me and said, hey, I hear you're conti- continuing Dick's legacy um, in the best way you know how, and I'm doing the same. Would you like to connect? And maybe we can do more together than we could alone. And so uh, approximately 10 years ago, we merged my programs into, uh, into the larger Point Guard College brand and then eventually rebranded it as PGC Basketball as really our, our programs are for, for players of all positions who want to be playmakers and, and want to be effective leaders. And I've provided leadership to PGC ever since. It's pretty amazing. And I don't know if you've reflected on this, but the fact that the two of you came together and said, hey, maybe we could do something greater or make a bigger impact if we work together rather than being alone is sort of the ethos of PGC. Uh, hey, let's, let's serve together. Let's try to help each other. Whereas a lot of other people might say you're the enemy or you are you know, my opponent or um, you know, something different. Can you, can you speak to that at all? You know, it's interesting. I had never quite thought about it like that before. I bet you had uh, Brian. it. <laughs> so it's, it. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting that you connected those dots. Thank you for that. You know, I, I think Dina, Dina Evans, who had taken on PGC after Dick passed away, and, and Dick had really mentored Dina and in many respects me as well. And uh, um, we both were at a place where we were running successful businesses. We were really content but we realized that uh, that there was a an even greater opportunity and uh, and so we were both willing to to in a sense trade up to trade up to trade what we had for something that could be even bigger and better and more impactful and so that's uh, that's what we both did and and we we've been able to grow PGC from what was reaching about 1000 players a summer um, and now, now we're impacting over 10,000 players a year and four or 5,000 coaches, not including everything we do online um, to reach coaches and players as well. So, so merging together really ended up having a, a multiplier effect in the same way that when you have five players playing uh, individual basketball on a team compared to um, putting everybody together and working together, you, you get a multiplier effect when that happens, which is why five less talented players playing together can often beat five 
superstars who are playing for themselves. Beautiful. Uh, and there's, there's, there's so much uh, symbolism there that is, is just beautiful and uh, just something to continue to think about. But you, you threw in that you guys also work with coaches. So uh, I was curious about what is the difference when you're working with coaches versus working with players? Sure. So when we have coaches that attend our summer courses, and that's continued to grow over the years, it used to be a small number. And, and now we, we have 12 to 1500 coaches a year that attend our courses right alongside the players to learn how to teach their players how to be playmakers and how to think the game and, uh, and how to develop a champion's mindset and how to, uh, how to be, be leaders and teach their players to be leaders. Uh, but then we started putting on clinics specifically for coaches. And our, the, the main intention of our clinics was to teach coaches how to coach, but not just how to coach, how to be a transformational coach, not a transactional coach, not in a sense just uh, um, using players for what you can get out of them to create the results that you want, but how do you be a transformational coach that makes a difference in the lives of the players and, uh, and helps them to not only fall in love with the game, but to fall in love with the journey of the pursuit of mastery. It's so easy to focus on winning Friday's game and, uh, and the wins and losses or the outcomes, but really what does it mean to, uh, to teach players how to find joy in the journey and how to, how to make it more about the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of mastery rather than any specific outcome. Awesome. And obviously you're coaching coaches. So what do you do to be at your best as a coach? Great question. I, I think first and foremost, being a lifelong continual learner. I think that's, uh, that's number one in terms of growing in, in, in any dimension as a player, as a coach, as a, as a parent, as a spouse, as a business leader. Um, I'm, I'm always, uh, always looking to grow. And the, the second would be asking good questions, asking good questions, asking good questions of others. One of the things I've, uh, I've always been is I've always been highly curious. And I think those who are highly curious tend to learn more and do better because you get answers that uh, you won't get and you learn more, learn things you wouldn't learn if you didn't ask the question. So I, I think good coaches and effective coaches ask a lot of questions and they question themselves. So they, or, and so part of that for me is debriefing a practice with my assistant coaches and saying, what did we do well? What did we learn? What can we improve upon? Those three questions, that, that, I, I do that every single day. In fact, earlier this morning, Brian, I was reflecting back on my previous day in my journal. What did I do well? I, I come up with 10 accomplishments. What did I learn? And what can I improve upon? I also add in what, what, what am I grateful for? And I have a list of 10. And, and so that's part of my daily journaling. But asking those questions, I think, uh, propels a coach forward as a coach because it's easy to it's easy to coach for 20 years, but have only coached one season because you repeated the same thing over and over again for 20, 20 times. But really, uh, what I wanted to do was develop the experience of having coached 20 years in just three or four years. And the only way to do that is to learn and grow both from your, mis your mistakes and your experiences and to, uh, to ask great questions and learn from others.
So you gave us a hint into this earlier when you said growing up, you'd wake up at 5, 5.30, you know, make the coffee for your dad, try to get 20, 30 minutes more of sleep, and then you'd hit the gym. Uh, so you're very intentional with how your mornings were run, even as a kid, whereas most kids, I know for me, certainly, I was hitting that alarm clock as late as possible before I jumped in my car. I uh, went to went to high school and in a sort of sleep, <laughs> a sleepy way. Um, but so from a young age, you were intentionally setting your mind in the morning. And now you're talking about journaling. It sounds like you do that in the morning, reflecting on yesterday's day. Walk us through what the morning looks like for you uh, on a daily basis. <laughs> How much time do we have, Brian? I have a pretty extensive morning routine. So I'll, I'll try us. and just give you the I'll, I'll give you the high level summary. So generally speaking, you know, if I'm on 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 the road or uh, or visiting one of our one one of our camps or at one of our coaching clinics, it would be a a much condensed morning routine. One of the things I picked up, uh, I asked John Maxwell one day, you know, leadership grew. I, I I said, John, I'm curious to know, with your schedule, he talks about the five things he does every day. I said, how do you do those five every single day when you're if you're flying uh, flying internationally and then speaking at a conference? And he, he said, Mono, I can't do all five for as long as I'd like to every single day, but I ensure that I always do something, that I always do something in each one of those five areas. So I've attempted to apply that, but generally speaking, my morning routine is about an hour and a half long. And uh, I attempt to spend time on each of the critical aspects of my life. So the spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental. And so I have a, a, a kind of a, a set routine for each one of those. So would you like me to plow through those or is that as high level summary as you'd, as you'd like? What do you think my, what do you think my answer to your question is going to be? <laughs> All right, I'll expand on it a little. Thank you, so sir. on it, it, yeah, in terms of the physical, so one of the things I, I realized is um, from reading uh, the the great book, The Power of Habits, um, that uh, that there are keystone habits that when we put into place it triggers all sorts of other positive habits. And so for, for me, my keystone habit in the morning is to get on the trampoline. And so as soon as I wake up, I, I come downstairs into my basement and I have this little tiny rebounder, a little kind of three by three foot um, trampoline. And I, I get on my trampoline and I bounce. I typically bounce for about 10 minutes and I combine a whole number of things together on, on the uh, trampoline. So one is gratitude. And so I, I actually express out loud all the things that I'm grateful for. And I spend uh, four or five minutes on gratitude. And then from my faith perspective, from the spiritual side, I spend time both in prayer and then praying for others. And then finally in worship. And, uh, and so that helps me to remember that, uh, A, it's not about me and, uh, and that I'm here for a purpose. And, uh, and then, uh, and then uh, lots of family and friends and those who work, uh, that those who I have the privilege of working alongside each and every day, I'm praying for them and their specific needs. So, so that's a, a critical part of my, my Mono, bouncing routine. Mono, two questions and then we'll, we'll keep going. One, what time is this at uh, if you're at home? 
and then two. Yeah, typically about six a.m. I used to do it much earlier, but I realized that uh, that I wasn't actually getting as much sleep as I needed. So I've become really disciplined and prioritized to uh, to get more sleep. So typically six six fifteen. Got it. And then uh, from a prayer standpoint, is it? Is it a specific religion or is it just um, like how do you, how, what's your spiritual framework? Yeah, my spiritual framework, yeah, from a Christian perspective. And so, uh, uh, so my, my prayer life is a combination of uh, a whole number of different um, pieces wrapped up into it that has kind of evolved over the years. And, uh, and then when I, when I finish my, uh, my prayer time and my gratitude time, then I journal and then I, I read through the scriptures as well and journal on that too. And so that kind of covers off my, both my spiritual and, uh, and the beginning of my, uh, of my physical. And so then uh, moving on, I do four different breathing exercises. I, I do uh, each of them outside, even in the winter. I'll, I'll go outside in just a, a T-shirt and shorts. If it is uh, spring, summer, or fall, I'll go out in bare feet to have some, uh, so to have 10 or 15 minutes outside in my bare feet on the grass. That's known as grounding. And there's uh, some really significant benefits to just having your feet touch the earth each day. So I have 10 or 15 minutes outside with uh, with some grounding time and uh, and then I, I come back inside after finishing my breathing exercises and some of the affirmations um, that I uh, that I say to myself and then I, I begin some yoga and morning stretching I usually do uh, either a workout a weight training workout or a, a four minute Tabata workout which really just uh, kind of really stretches and challenges my body um, in this uh, four minute is kind of the best way you can challenge your body um, 20 seconds on 10 seconds off maximum exertion maximum breathing and so I do those uh, a Tabata workout in the morning if I'm not doing my weight training um, and then uh, what else haven't I covered? Mental, emotional. Oh, while I'm doing my yoga, I uh, I also listen to uh, I listen to a speaker, and so I'll listen to a podcast or I'll, I'll listen to something on YouTube to uh, challenge and help me grow. So those are most of the things that I do in the morning. It's it's usually about um, an hour and a half long. So that is just really intentional, which is the idea of this podcast and, and really awesome. And it's clear that you put a lot of time and effort into making sure that you're jumpstarting your mornings with more than just a cup of coffee or more than just making coffee uh, for your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Actually on the, on the, on the uh, nutrition side, I, I begin with uh, um, a, a pot of tea that is just basically consisting of organic honey, organic lemons, some ground ginger or ginger that I add to it and some Himalayan salt. And so I have uh, two or three glasses of that. And then I, I have uh, three or four glasses of water over the next hour to an hour and a half with having some, uh, some of my kind of dried, uh, dried greens. So barley green or uh, wheatgrass. And so, so I've got kind of an unusual, my family thinks I'm kind of crazy, generally speaking, as, as does anyone who, who stays at our house and sees what I take in in the morning. But, you know, hydrating and, and putting in great, uh, great things for your body to start the day is something that I've done for the last 20 years. Well, as this conversation has evolved and as we've chatted, the person that I keep coming back to in my head 
that you've hit on a number of times is actually Kobe Bryant. So uh, as I thought about you picking tomatoes and doing that work uh, before you started your camps, um, I thought about Kobe was asked, what is the best compliment that he could get? And he said that I'm a blue collar worker. And I think about your upbringing and someone from the outside looking in might say, oh, well, uh, Manu's not blue collar. But as you talk about your journey and the lessons learned and the lifestyle that was instilled in you from a young age by coaches and parents, uh, I think you would probably describe yourself as a blue collar worker and that you pride yourself on your work ethic. And oh, by the way, if you look at Kobe Bryant, um, where he grew up, uh, someone would also probably say that he's not blue collar. Um, but I would imagine you would also like him think that that you're blue collar. And then the second big word that came out was, was curious. And if you listen to Kobe and you study what he's trying to do now with storytelling, it all comes from a place of curiosity. And uh, curiosity has been linked to success uh, scientifically. And uh, it's one of the great links to success that we've found in our society. And when you say, I want to be a lifelong learner, um, I think curiosity captures that in a in a great capacity. And uh, as I'm sure you've evolved over the years, I'm sure that routine changes and evolves. And as your curiosity and you learn new things, you add new things to it. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll add uh, this conversation to your morning podcast ritual as well. And uh, I just want to give you a platform uh, in these final minutes to promote anything that you want to promote, whether it's social media, whether it's PGC, uh, or anything else that you're involved with. Uh, and I also just want to thank you for your time. And uh, this has been a lot of fun getting to know you uh, in our call today and also look forward to many more conversations with you in the future. But uh, take this time to promote anything that you think uh, should get a microphone and, and get more of a platform. Sure. Well, obviously, for uh, for those who may be in the basketball world listening, uh, if you're interested in what we do at PGC for players or coaches, you can visit pgcbasketball.com, pgcbasketball.com, or um, at PGC Basketball on, uh, on any of our social media channels and, of course, YouTube as well as we post lots of videos there. And then for those who just may be interested in, in following me personally, at Watsa, and that's M-A-N-O, W-A-T-S-A. And I, I, do, I do quite a number of Facebook Live videos and, uh, and, po and video posts on uh, right now. I've, I've just started uh, recently posting for parents, um, things I've learned about parenting and continue to learn about parenting with our three teenage kids. And, and so uh, for those who may be interested in following along there and, and learning and growing alongside me, would be, uh, delighted, to, uh, would be delighted to have you, uh, have you join me. Well, Mano, as a parent myself and as a coach myself and as a weekday warrior uh, basketball player, uh, I will certainly check all of those out and encourage people to check out all the work that PGC is doing. And I just want to thank you uh, and the company for really making better basketball players, uh, but also making better coaches and in turn making better people. So uh, thank you for all the work you continue to do. Uh, and as I said, look forward to getting to know you better. Uh, and hopefully we will connect next time you're in Washington, D.C. Or if I end up uh, in Toronto anytime soon, I certainly will try to connect with you as well. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, and for those that want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Brian Levinson. 
Uh, and then we also are on Instagram, intentional underscore performers. Then, of course, you can check out the website, intentionalperformers.com. Uh, thanks, Mono, for the time. Uh, appreciate it. And enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for having me on the call. would love to uh, hear about your routines and your habits and everything you've learned on your journey. So I look forward to uh, spending some more time with you in the future. And if you're ever up in, in the uh, uh, Toronto neck of the woods, would love, to, uh, would love to spend some time with you. And I'll certainly take you up on that offer when I'm down in Washington, D.C. next. Thanks again for having me on the podcast. It's been a joy. Thanks, Mono. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. My morning routine is about an hour and a half long, and uh, I attempt to spend time on each of the critical aspects of my life, so the spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental.